seriously popular. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Natasha Livingston, Royal Correspondent for The Mail on Sunday. Welcome to The Crown, Fact or Fiction? This is the podcast that, once again, by popular request, turns on the crown and tells you if what you're seeing is how things really happened. As always, I'm joined by a royal biographer and male columnist, Robert Hardman. Robert, which episode are we going to watch today? Well, hello, Natasha. Yeah, we are going to rewind quite extensively. We are going to, and this is something we'll do in the weeks ahead, we're just going to cherry pick perhaps our favourite episodes or particularly noteworthy episodes that we think deserve closer inspection. And so for the first of this new style retro crown fact or fiction, I've chosen episode nine of season Two, only serious crown wonks will immediately identify that as the episode called Pater Familias. Uh, But it's the one that focuses on the Duke of Edinburgh and a school-age Prince Charles and the tensions between them. And it really did go on to be a major talking point because it really upset the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah, in royal circles, I think this is probably the most controversial Crown episode. I mean, that's quite a statement, but it really did cause a lot of controversy. But just to fill you in about season two in general, it was mostly centred on the late 1950s and the early 1960s. But as Robert mentioned, this episode jumps back to Prince Philip um, and his life in the early 1930s. So we're talking about a stage of the crown where Prince Philip was portrayed by Matt Smith, formerly Doctor Who, and the Queen by the wonderful Claire Foy. Yeah, I think many people regard this as the greatest sort of era, if you like, in the crown when these two are playing the Queen and Prince Philip. It was still 
very new. It was very startling, the, the production values, the sheer glamour. It was a visual treat, even if the script was often all over the place. So I think many of our listeners will immediately remember this episode. Before we get started, just a quick reminder that we would like you to tell us which episodes you liked best, which was your favourite, never mind mine or Natasha's, or which events in The Crown that you thought they got right, or are the particular areas that you have doubts about and you want us to explore. And we can maybe fact check that in future episodes. Do take a look at the show notes on how to get in touch. So now it's time to sit back and watch episode nine of season two of The Crown. This is Paterfamilias. I'm afraid it's true. His Royal Highness has struggled. And the press runs stories about him almost daily. The other boys read about him in the newspapers. We do what we can, but boys that age can be cruel. The fact is, His Royal Highness is different. Dear Uncle Dickie, Mummy told me that she had chosen Eton College for me for senior school. I must say I was very relieved and now find myself very excited. Being at Eton makes so much sense. Well, we open there with the sight of an utterly miserable Prince Charles uh, in a rugby match where he clearly doesn't want to be. He's shivering. It's roughy-tufty. There's one point where uh, the ball comes flying at him. As soon as he caught it, he tries to get rid of it, and immediately he's flattened by his opponents. And the message is very clear. Charles is a delicate flower. And then we see the Queen having a chat with the headmaster of his prep school, Cheem, where he did indeed go. And the headmaster says, you know, he is a sensitive boy, and that because of that, his future lies at a school like Eton, which which is both very close and convenient for home, i.e. Windsor Castle, and which is big enough to find a place for boys of every character. The Queen effectively says, right, well, Eton it is. And then along comes Charles's great uncle, Lord Mountbatten, Dickie Mountbatten, who says, oh, good, let's go and get you sorted out with a uniform. And we see the look of utter delight on Charles's face. He's going to go to school just across the Thames from home. He's measured up for all these very traditional uniforms, uh, tailcoats, blazers, cricket kit, all that stuff. And it's all looking quite happy. I really enjoy the scenes where young Prince Charles is getting in all of his outfits. He's trying them on. I mean, at one point he's in a suit with a little, I think it's a red tie, and he looks a little bit like a mini Mr Bean. But generally I think it's quite adorable. And I think it's that relatable feeling of, you know, your excitement of going to a new school and obviously at this point potentially a school that Prince Charles would quite like to have gone to. But I don't think it's going to pan out the way he might have hoped. No, and I don't think it actually panned out like that in real life. I don't think for one minute um, Prince Charles was ever going to eat and Prince Philip had made it very clear that he had other thoughts. So I don't think dear old or dear young Prince Charles was ever being measured up for all this stuff. After dinner, you should look in on Charles to compliment him on his uniforms. What uniforms? His uniforms for Eton. What are you talking about? Charles is going to Gordonson. Not necessarily. Yes, necessarily. It's not set in stone. Give me a hammer and chisel and watch me carve it into one. Philip. Gordonson is the right place for him. It's no exaggeration to say that school made me, and it can make Charles. He won't learn a thing about himself at evening. Oh, yes, but he might just survive, or he might flourish. Or he might just become another wet, namby-pamby, mollycon twit. 
but the rest of the British upper classes. So Prince Philip has arrived home at Windsor Castle and he's beaming ear to ear because he's won a sporting trophy. He uh, marches up to see the Queen and they have a bit of a showdown about where young Prince Charles is going to be going to school. The Queen is insisting that it's maybe not certain that he will be going to Gordonston. Perhaps he might be going to Eton, but Prince Philip absolutely lays down the law, partly due to the fact he says he doesn't want Charles to become a wet, namby-pamby, molly-coddled twit, which is quite a mouthful. Then this argument goes on and Philip wins the argument and he comes across uh, as quite strident here uh, which is something we can go on to discuss uh, I mean do you think that that is an accurate portrayal? I don't think it would have been much of an argument actually I think it's nicely acted and yep there is a very alpha male Prince Philip returning from one of his favourite sports sailing and he's dropping various sailing analogies and possibly deliberately uh, muddling them up with equestrian ones which are more to the Queen's liking. He, he talks about furlock and she has to remind him it's a furlong. But uh, yeah, there's tension there because she is still holding out for Eton and he says absolutely not. What we do know is that she didn't seek to get involved in this one. She was going to leave this issue to Philip and Philip's view was very clearly it's going to be Gordonston. Another theme that I think we can see starting to come through in this very early part of the episode is when the Queen mentions that Prince Charles has been in correspondence by letter with his great uncle Dickie Mountbatten, Lord Mountbatten, and the Duke of Edinburgh is not very happy about this and says meddling is what Dickie does. So I think we're going to see that sort of tension between who has Charles's ear. That's going to come up during this episode. But uh, yeah, for now, it seems that the Eton dream is over. The Duke has put his foot down and those uniforms, those sweet little uniforms we saw minutes earlier are off to the second-hand shop. Yeah, there's quite a good scene where Prince Philip is explaining the kind of values of Gordon Stood and Charles is, there's two butlers who are sort of cutting up his toast and giving him his boiled egg and, you know, Prince Philip says, this is not the real world. And then they go through and, yeah, it's gone with the Eton uniforms and on with Prince Philip's old jumper. It's almost a kind of Harry Potter moment where he's got to wear this (laughs) ill-fitting, ragged jumper, you know, very much away from this kind of glamorous idea of royalty that I think Lord Mountbatten was kind of more associated with. So, yeah, it's that, we get a strong idea here about what Prince Philip thinks a royal man is and what Prince Charles should grow up to be. So I think we're going to see that play out. And now I think we're about to go from a young Prince Charles to a young Prince Philip. Das will ich nicht tragen. Gib seine Hoheit Pullover brauchen. Natürlich wird seine Hoheit Pullover brauchen. Er fährt nach Schottland. You're not really going to fly him to school dressed for a funeral. Of course. One might as well be dressed for the inevitable. If we land safely, I'll change. Ludwig Alexander, come She's your sister. <laughs> so now we're introduced to the very different character of the young Prince Philip. Unlike the young Prince Charles, he's confident, upbeat, and his very first words are in German because this is a reminder that he 
is living at this point with his sisters. His sisters have all married German aristocrats. It's a very sad childhood for Prince Philip. His mother had a nervous breakdown. She's been taken away to a sanatorium in Switzerland. He won't see her for many years. His father, having been exiled from Greece, is leading a rather sad, disparate life, wandering between different relatives all over Europe. The Crown have sort of made out that he is living permanently in Germany at this point. Not quite true. I mean, he did go to school in Germany for a year or so between Cheam and Gordonston. Uh, but by now, Prince Philip has done a year at this German school, Salem, which is housed in the castle, belonging to one of his brothers-in-law. But it's clearly not a viable option with the tensions growing across Europe to have this English-educated boy who is a prince of Greece and Denmark being taught in an increasingly Nazi environment. And what we see here is the sense of creeping Nazism. We see our first swastika. It's being worn as an armband by one of his brothers-in-law, George Donatus, Duke of Hesse, who married Prince Philip's sister, Cecile, or Cecily, as she was known, often described as his favourite sister. And she's now taking up a role in the film, isn't she? Because she's the one who is effectively taking him off to school in Britain. Yeah, and we see them on a, it looks like a tiny propeller plane. I'm not sure what the technical name for it is, but that also has a swastika on the side. And we see her fear of flying. She is almost kind of hyperventilating. She's doing prayers to try and calm her anxiety. And yes, we see Prince Philip kind of just saying very coolly, it's just air. You know, he's clearly cool, calm and collected. And this theme about fear of flying or dangers of flying is something that will come up later on in the episode. Yeah, they're trying to set up the whole idea of Cecile or Cecily as a very nervous flyer. Again, I mean, this is the crown taking liberties. What we don't have any sense of here is the fact that actually the young Philip spent a lot of his time um, with his Mountbatten cousins in Britain and was not flown to Gordonston uh, with his sister. He's shown to be quite snooty about Scotland here when he arrives as well, saying it's freezing. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, he would have known that already, having spent many years at a prep school in England. And we see that moment where he arrives at Gordonston and a boy comes up and says, who are you? And he says, I'm Philip. Philip who? And he just says, just Philip. He wasn't just Philip. He was Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark. I think everyone at Gordonston would have known that. But um, part of the charm, part of the appeal of Gordonston was that it was essentially, by relative terms in those days, a much more classless environment. And the reason that it was chosen was because of this inspirational headmaster, Dr. Kurt Hahn. Now, Hahn had been the headmaster of Salem, the German school that Prince Philip had previously attended. He had left Germany, basically kicked out of Germany because he was Jewish, and so had gone on to create this new school in a Scottish country house called Gordonston. And that's why it was chosen for Prince Philip. His family greatly admired Hahn. Uh, they understood why Hahn couldn't remain in Germany. So essentially, Philip was following this great educator, Kurt Hahn, who would go on to be a great influence in his life. Welcome, my dear Dr. Welcome Hahn. Welcome, sir. It's good to be back. You know, this school runs in your father's blood. He was one of the first pupils here. He helped build the place. I did. I built that wall. 
The whole point is that the boy learns to fend for himself. We know what's expected of us. At Gordonston, fitness is valued just as highly as academic excellence. Prince is sure to be put through his paces by their grueling physical regime. This is surely the place to make our young prince into a man ready to serve his country. So now we've flashed forwards and it's Prince Charles's time to arrive at Gordonston and we're shown that he's flown by his father, Prince Philip, and he arrives and it's the same headmaster, Kurt Hahn, who is there to welcome him. And we get the sense that it's still pretty rough and ready. All of the boys are in these plain jumpers waiting for Prince Charles to arrive and Charles arrives in his very glamorous suit looking very dapper, which of course will soon change. And we also learn that Prince Charles has a royal detective who appears to be acting as a security guard, supposedly to warn against press intrusion. But otherwise, they're looking like they're going to treat Prince Charles just like any of the other pupils, which is what Prince Philip wants. Yeah, we see here already Prince Charles is clearly going to loathe this place. There are one or two head-scratching moments. I notice that Prince Philip drives up to what's presumably London Airport with Prince Charles in his blue convertible gets on the plane, flies Charles to Scotland, they get out the other end and get back into the blue convertible. So how the car managed to make it up there faster than the aeroplane, I don't know. Again, you'd have thought the Crown might have spotted that one. Uh, But, you know, we can forgive him that. The other mistake, as you alluded to there, is that Kurt Hahn by this point was long off the scene. He'd retired in the early 1950s. We're now in the early 1960s. But you can understand why they want to create the sense of the enduring influence of Hahn, because that, in fact, it's very true. Gordonston, to this day, is still sort of imbued with, with harnery, if you like. But in the Crown, they've decided to keep him there. And as you say, the arrival of the royal detective is being talked up here um, for a very good reason. But it is true that Prince Philip did fly Prince Charles to school, which for a lot of people does seem kind of crazy. I mean, what was the reason for that, just because Prince Philip loved flying? Prince Philip did love flying. In the early 50s, he had got his pilot's licence. And yeah, this was seen at the time as probably something of a treat, I imagine. Whether it was precisely that that type of aircraft, I'm not sure. I'm not a great aviation expert. The other thing, good to see the stereotypical press yelling questions like, are you sure this is a right school for Prince Charles, sir? I mean, that is simply would never have happened. Um, the press were, were, were way more respectful. Yeah, there's uh, in pictures those days. of this first day, but yes, whether or not there were angry questions yeah. <laughs> thrown out like that. But, you know, look, uh, we can forgive them that. The underlying message is true. Charles has arrived at a school that he clearly is not going to enjoy. That's what happened. Does it close? The rain's getting in. The frame's broken, idiot. What are you doing? Moving the bed. Put it back. The sheets are getting wet. Put it back or I'll put you on a port. Lights out. So we've seen uh, a thoroughly miserable Prince Charles going to sleep 
in what was his father's old bed. He's not even allowed to shut the window, though the rain's coming in. It's just grim. And then suddenly the sun comes up and we're transported back to Prince Philip's early days at Gordonston. And he is forced to experience the joys of the early morning cross-country run, followed by the joys of the famous Gordonston cold shower. Uh, And we see the other boys sort of treating this as a, a sort of bravery test and the cold shower goes on, they jump in and they jump out. Prince Philip makes a point of sauntering into the cold shower and standing there and standing there and standing there. And we very much get the sense, okay, this is a child who is not to be messed with. And then we see, don't we, Natasha, a sense of a rather spoiled royal prince coming through there. Yeah, we see the boys partaking in it's physical activity, but it is manual labour. They appear to be building certain things, building walls, hammering nails into planks of wood. And Prince Philip, that is how he sees it. He says that he will not be doing this manual labour and they should ask staff to do it if uh, they need help building the school because this is meant to be a new school at this time. Uh, Clearly he thinks he's better than the rest but the other boys are not having this. A particularly intimidating child kind of hurls this torrent of abuse at Prince Philip about his difficult family upbringing. They call it, say, his father's living with a whore in Paris. Yes, and, yes. He corrects him and says Monaco. And yes. they say, call the mother a mental de- defective. I mean, yeah. these are wounding words for a boy from a pretty troubled home. Yeah, but he is not just taking it. He is retaliating quite forcefully. But in the end, he is quite dramatically pushed out of a window and lands in a lake <laughs> and crawls out. But the sense that we're getting here is that Gordonston is quite rough, but Prince Philip is of the character to handle it. Cousin Louis' wedding for the new half term. Don wants to fly. I'll tell him I won't go and you can come and stay with me. In Germany? Just the two of us. Probably. What does that mean? I didn't tell you. I'm expecting. A little one. Again? Don't be like that. Castles need to be filled. And Hitler is encouraging us to have as many children as we can. As Germany grows, she will need more soldiers. Uh, So here we have just seen two miserable Gordonstonians, if you like, starting with Prince Philip. He's finding this place dreadful. He doesn't want to be here anymore. And so we see him on the phone to his sister, Cicely. She says, look, you you can come back here for half term and be with me. The rest of the family are flying off to a wedding, but I'll stay here with you and we'll have a lovely time. And while they're having this conversation, we see where the sister, Cecile, is meant to be. And in the background, there is what appears to be a Nazi party going on. There's again, there's lots of people in the outfits wearing the swastika arm. Bands and she mentions the fact that she's pregnant and swiftly follows is the fact that um, Herr Hitler is encouraging Germans to have lots of children. So they're really laying this theme on this Nazi element quite thick. Yeah, they're saying, I think, this family, Prince Philip's sister and her husband, so Prince Philip's brother-in-law, are very enthusiastic Nazis. And as you say, yeah, it cuts to a, a sort of dinner party and they're all drunk, they're all singing Nazi songs and thumping the table. So we're very much getting the sense, quite apart from the fact that Prince Philip hates Gordonston, that his family are up to their necks in swastikas. We're in the mid-30s. The Nazis are clearly not just in the ascendant, they're in power. But whether it would all have been quite so demonstrably Nazi at every turn at an aristocratic dinner party in a castle, 
I don't know. But the Crown clearly want to remind us um, that, that war is coming and that uh, Philip's family are very much on the wrong side. Then it soon jumps to Prince Charles at Gordonston, who is not enjoying himself. He It's a cyclical theme. We see him doing that bracing, muddy morning run, which they appear to do wearing all white from head to toe, including the shoes, which if they're running through mud, I mean, poor, I don't know who was washing the clothes. Maybe this was part of their punishment. They had to scrub their own white clothes. I honestly don't know. But anyway, we see this repeating itself. But whereas we saw Prince Philip battling on and kind of proving to the boys that he was a real man, unfortunately, we see Prince Charles being pushed over. Someone calls him an idiot. Uh, but then Lord Mountbatten arrives in a Bentley, I think. And then they sit inside the car and they're having biscuits from a Fortnum and Mason hamper. And we really get the sense that Lord Mountbatten is providing a kind of alternative fatherly figure, would you say, Robert? Yeah, he's going to do the things that Charles's parents aren't doing. But you can see the look on his face. He's worried about Charles. And there's a sort of uh, a rather poignant and sad moment at the end of their conversation where a, a boy passing the Bentley or the Rolls Royce, whatever it is, sees Charles inside and shouts Dumbo, reference to his ears. And you think, uh, if they're saying that to the heir to the throne in front of his family, I mean, it's obviously a thoroughly unpleasant place to be. Yeah, and it has been debated over the years as to the extent that Prince Charles may or may not have liked Gordonston, but he did write in a letter on the 9th of February 1963, I hate coming back here and leaving everyone at home. I hardly get any sleep at the house because I snore and get hit on the head the whole time. It is absolute hell. Yeah, we see this other habit the boys seem to have of hitting him on the back of the head every time they see him. I sympathise with him utterly, but uh, he's still only in his first year. Sorry, Charles, there's a long way to go yet. Do you know what he calls the place? Hell on earth. And as his mother, I have decided to take him out of Gordonston and bring him home to Eton, to Windsor, where he belongs. You can't always fall back on the crown. Oh, yes, I can. Charles's education is my responsibility. Yours is to honour your word and keep your husband. So we've just watched Prince Philip and the Queen have quite a fierce argument again about where Prince Charles is going to go to school. The Queen wants to take him out of Gordonston because he hates it. Prince Philip is insistent that Charles must stay and that that is his area of responsibility. And that is correct. That is a deal that they had, didn't they, between Prince Philip and the Queen, that he was going to be in charge of family matters. Yeah, I mean, there were certain areas that the Queen uh, made clear from the moment she became Queen that she wanted Prince Philip to take a lead to, in, in, in many ways, be the kind of head of the family in private. She couldn't be in public, obviously, because she's sovereign, he's not. But she, from the very start, for example, put him in charge of the royal estate. So he had the run of Windsor, Sandring and Balmoral. They were his domains, if you like, to organise. And she was very happy to leave him in charge of the children's education. There's a slightly curious point there where, where the Queen says, oh, Gordonston would be fine for all our other children, uh, but not Charles. Well, I mean, at this point, uh, the other children consist of Anne and Andrew, who's a, only a baby. So uh, Edward hasn't come along at this point. And, yeah, it's reminding us of how Prince Philip 
felt very unhappy. It's it's a, it's a throwback to an earlier episode in this series, which um, seeks to uh, make out that the marriage is in deep trouble and the Queen has to make lots of sacrifices. And there is a, a ludicrous scene here where, where effectively Prince Philip says, you know, um, you leave the children's education to me if you want to keep your husband. Well, I mean, that's just nonsense. It's uh, a threat. He's basically saying, if you pull Prince Charles out of Gordonston, I'm going to leave you. I mean, is this yeah, a discussion that ever happened? I simply do not believe it. Uh, as I've said already, the Queen deferred to the Duke all the way through with Charles's education. I'm, I'm sure she was very concerned that he was having a miserable time. I'm sure she knew he was having a miserable time. But you have to remember, you know, this is a wartime generation. And, you know, they had to put up with all sorts of unpleasantry. And the view was, well, you know, it may be miserable, but, you know, it'll put hairs on his chest. So he's going to have to lump it. That's what happened. I, the idea there was a showdown and Prince Philip effectively saying to the Queen, if you take him out of Gordonston, I'm out of here. I just, no, I don't buy that at all. But, yeah. We have to keep reminding ourselves it's only a drama. Yeah, I think it's quite an interesting example of why the crown is so persuasive because there's a lot of things here that are true. There's that detail of how, yes, Prince Philip was in charge of family affairs and, yes, there's quite good detail about how Prince Charles really didn't like this school and the, even the phrases, the Colditz in kilts phrase, that's mm. been well reported, alluding, you know... Well, we haven't seen them in any the kilts yet, have we? I haven't seen no, them No, just to say kilts. these whites, these <laughs> awful gym whites. Um, but then, yes, then this plot line um, about the Queen threatening to pull Charles out of Gordonston that apparently never happened. And I think that's a very good example of mixing really good detail with pure fiction that makes this so convincing but also confusing for people. Yeah. One thing we have to remember is it does underline what a mould breaker Charles was. You know, he was the first future monarch to be sent to school. Up to this point, all future monarchs uh, were taught at home by governors and governesses and schoolmasters and had a really a very ivory tired existence. You know, this is a reminder Charles did, as it were, lead the way. He's the first normal, if you like, royal schoolboy, and he's hating it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Take off from Cologne. Bad weather meant they couldn't land at Brussels. While attempting to land in Ostend, I'm afraid all 12 souls were lost. Well, 
We now move to a really harrowing central section of the uh, of this episode, which is undeniably rooted. In fact, it starts with Prince Philip um, taking part in this sort of school challenge. It's a sort of assault course during which he is still seething about the boy who was rude about his family. He punches him in the middle of this challenge and as a punishment, the headmaster calls him in and says, right, we can't have this, this sort of behaviour going on. You are stuck here for half term. You're not going anywhere. You two are going to carry on building Building these walls that most Gordonston pupils, there's not any sign of anyone receiving any sort of education. All they seem to be doing is, is sort of forced labour building walls. Yeah, it's a gate to welcome them to the school. Yeah, that's it. That's all you're going to do. So Prince Philip has to ring his sister and say, look, I'm really sorry. I'm being told I can't come to you for half term. She says, I know. The headmaster's already told me. I, I had to agree. And now I've got to get on this blasted plane and fly with the rest of the family to this wedding in Britain. And so off they go. They get in the plane. And what happens next is ghastly viewing, isn't it? Yeah. The first way that they inform us of what has happened is quite similar to how they covered uh, Princess Diana's death later where it's kind of relayed over the phone but it's, it's actually silence. We kind of see their faces drop as it's the headmaster that's clearly informed over the phone. The silence relays that something very serious has happened. Prince Philip is told verbally what has happened including that 12 people have died in this plane crash including his sister who we saw previously was very heavily pregnant went into labour on the flight and so her and the newborn baby were of the 12 that passed away in this accident but that verbal description is not enough it then shows the moment of the crash and his sister giving birth during the flight and then Prince Philip is shown walking amongst the grounds of Gordonston but it's kind of flashed back with seeing the bodies um, on the floor after the crash and it pans to his sister Cecile's face and her eyes open wide on the floor and I think harrowing is really the only description for that scene. I think it gets a bit gratuitous. I mean, yes, we see Prince Philip being told that this ghastliness has happened, that his favourite sister has been wiped out along with uh, all her family. And then Prince Philip goes off to gather his thoughts. He's having this very mournful walk and he's imagining he's there at the crash site. So we see the crash site. We see burning wreckage. We see dead children. Uh, do we have sounds to see of this? screaming as well and a baby screaming. And it's just, it, I mean, personally, it felt like we did not need to see that. Just having it relayed to Philip with the detail and the silence and the gravity of the voices. I mean, it's a harrowing story enough rather than having to see it actually dramatised. Yeah, as I say, I think they're, they're, they've overdone it. The plane did hit bad weather near Ostend on the Belgian coast. It actually crashed into a factory chimney. And yes, indeed, a baby was found in the wreckage. It was quite clear that Cecily had given birth. It's sometimes been suggested um, that actually it was her husband was at the controls of the plane. He was an enthusiastic, though not very good pilot. And that in all the chaos of her giving birth, the bad weather and flying low uh, caused the plane to crash. We never really know. There is one 
perhaps equally tragic footnote to this dreadful story, which is that actually there was one child who wasn't on the plane. There was one child who survived because she had to stay at home because she was ill, a little girl. She was obviously orphaned, an only child. And a few years later, she died of meningitis herself. So, I mean, it's just simply ghastly. It's something that did scar Prince Philip for the rest of his life. But what the Crown has done here, and we'll come on to this later, the Crown implies it's his fault. Yeah, if he hadn't punched this guy and been forced to stay on at the school over half term, then his sister wouldn't have had to have got on this plane and then died in this accident. So, yeah, they're really kind of laying the blame at Prince Philip's door. Your son. I'm surprised he dare show himself here. Papa. Had it not been for Philip and his indiscipline, she would never have taken that flight. It's true, isn't it, boy? You're the reason we're all here. Burying my favorite child. Papa. Get him out of here. So we've seen a young Prince Philip arrive in Germany for the funeral of his sister and his other relatives. And it's clear that there is a distinct Nazi theme again. There's crowds of people watching the funeral giving a Nazi salute and lots of soldiers in uniform with, again, the Nazi armband. And there are pictures from the funeral which do show Philip, who was 16 at the time, in this procession, the funeral procession, with relatives wearing Nazi uniforms and people in the crowds giving the Nazi salute. So that is a difficult context to this. But we move past this then to the reception after the funeral and they really drive home the theme that Prince Philip is responsible for the death of his sister, don't they, Robert? Yeah, I I think this is one of the lowest, perhaps even the lowest point in the entire crown canon, in the entire 60 episodes of this series. You have an utterly traumatised teenage Prince Philip suddenly brought in front of his parents and his father says, you're the only reason we're here because of you. My favourite child died. Get out. I mean, Prince Philip was so upset. He never saw this episode, I'm sure. He did hear about it. And he was so upset that he, at one point, he even considered suing Netflix. He was talked out of it. But as he said to someone who relayed this to me, he said, apparently, I murdered my sister. There is no question it was one of the low points of his life. Hugo Vickers, who is a great authority on these matters, who is a biographer of Prince Philip's mother, who um, interviewed many members of the family, he has written very powerfully that, that this for Prince Philip was one of the lowest points of his entire life. He adored his sister. He adored his little cousins. There's no question he was absolutely shell-shocked by this. But the idea that he was somehow culpable is is nonsense. The idea that his father blamed him is nonsense. His father was very worried about his son, his only son, and his father actually brought him to the funeral, not as is depicted here, Lord Mountbatten. But no doubt around the world, there are lots of people who think, oh, well, this explains everything about Prince Philip. You know, he had this utterly traumatic childhood and he always carried with him the shame and blame for the death of his sister. Adding this element of making Philip responsible for the death of his sister just seems like an invention that is just, yeah, so cruel. At a time when Prince Philip himself was alive, there is so much drama that was true. I just don't, honestly don't understand why they felt the need to invent that 
the story, the real facts are, are powerful enough as they are. This was a big, a very big event in Germany. The Duke of Hesse was an enthusiastic member of the Nazi party. It was a big gathering of senior figures were by now in 1937, um, and Hitler is, is in complete control of Germany. So the depiction of this as a sort of almost a, a Nazi state funeral um, is not a million miles off the mark because uh, there are photographs of the funeral procession and there are an awful lot of swastikas everywhere. The reason all these swastikas is because his sister had married the Duke of Hesse. He was the the big Nazi. That's the reason we've got all the swastikas here. He's rather been sort of written out of this. It all seems to be about Prince Philip's family. But actually, uh, this was really a German affair honouring a German duke and his family. I think he needs help, sir. Not until he's asked for it. Help. Speak up. I need help. Well, we've seen Prince Philip now returning to Gordonston and the way he is dealing with this uh, great grief is to throw himself into this manual labour that he scorned uh, so forcefully early on in the episode. Um, it's... I think an over-laboured, if that's the right word, point. He's working day and night building these gate walls and he, until he is finally sort of broken by this, the effort of it all and, and asks for help. And then the rest of the boys come along and <laughs> in what I'm sure any DIY enthusiast will regard as completely ludicrous, uh, suddenly this boy who has been um, making it up as he goes along, knocking up an entire grand gate entrance, um, the gates are then just slotted onto their hinges and they fit first time. I, I really, I, as someone who's tried some very basic DIY, I wish it was that simple. Yeah, I mean, the manual labour, the grimness of this scene is so dramatic. It was almost reminiscent of Le Mis, really, toiling away. It's incredible. But it's quite amusing because, as you said, I mean, Gordonson has tried to separate itself from this really grim image and the principal Lisa Kerr said after this came out that um, the press come to the school and asked to see the gateposts that Prince Philip built and she has to inform them that unfortunately no such gatepost exists and oh, never has done so oh, yes. you mean the crown made, the wall, made it all up yes. oh no and then it brings it back to the present day and we are seeing Prince Charles doing the what has been described as the infamous Gordonston challenge um, but again I'm afraid in this interview the the principal said that uh, there was never a Gordonston challenge. But anyway, a minor detail, we're about to see Prince Charles do this uh, difficult challenge that unfortunately never existed. Charles! Charles! Catch up, quick, go on. They should all be back at two o'clock. Where's Charles? We lost him quite early on. Well, I think we should start the presentation. Ten more minutes. Of course. So we've seen the rest of Gordonston taking part in this 
great challenge, one which completely overwhelms uh, Prince Charles. He doesn't even complete it. His detective has to go out and track him down, finds him sobbing, and uh, we see the Duke of Edinburgh presenting the prizes to all these very sporty boys. And then he flies his son home. And it's a pretty miserable flight, isn't it, Natasha? Yeah, Prince Philip begins with giving Prince Charles a bit of a pep talk, saying, it doesn't matter to me where you finished in this challenge. You know, you displayed real courage in taking part. But then the message, it doesn't really go to plan because they're experiencing real turbulence in this flight. And Prince Philip tries to have a candid moment where he talks about the shame he felt for the death of his sister, which he says he was responsible, which obviously is labouring a point of real fiction, quite painful fiction here. But anyway, the drama goes on and Prince Charles is not enjoying the turbulence and is kind of screaming and Prince Philip loses his rag and Charles has to go to the back of the plane and the relationship between father and son is really looking quite poor, isn't it, Robert? Yes, Prince Philip here is being shown once again as a pretty kind of monstrous dad um, with this exceptionally delicate child. And the one solace that Prince Charles seems to have in this episode, indeed in this phase of his life as far as the crown is concerned, is his detective, who's a kindly soul to whom he turns in times of crisis. But yes, it's trying to once again, remind us that Prince Philip is forever tortured by uh, the death of his sister, that he is uh, taking it all out on his son, who is a very different character to himself. I mean, it's drama, but I totally understand why the Duke of Edinburgh was so upset when he learned about this episode. Aside from him being responsible for the death of his sister, which, as we said, is, a, is another matter we've discussed, Prince Philip really is portrayed as being a bully with anger issues. Do you think that's accurate? No. I mean, he, he's, he's on the point of actually hitting the young Prince Charles, who is clearly very upset during this flight. Uh, he was a much more compassionate man than that. He was actually very understanding when his children, and indeed when all young people, found they couldn't uh, cope with particular situations. One thinks back to when Prince Edward left the Royal Marines. Nothing particularly shameful in that. Most people who entered training for the Royal Marines left at some point. Only very few made it all the way through. It was obviously an embarrassing moment for Prince Edward, given that his father was Captain General of the Royal Marines. But the Duke of Edinburgh never took it out on him. He always took the view that he was very brave of him for giving it a go in the first place. It's a very stereotypical Duke of Edinburgh we're seeing here, the sort of tough alpha male who can't cope with anyone else not being as tough as him. And that just completely overlooks the far more uh, complex and interesting nature of the man. But I think this episode's gone way too far to, to redeem him. He is the villain of the piece. And now we've got a sobbing Prince Charles but I suppose we can, on the upside for Prince Charles, at least terms over and he's on his way home. So that episode comes to a close with Prince Charles and Prince Philip returning home. And we have almost an ice queen, Claire Foy, looking out the window of Windsor Castle as her son returns home. He's warmly embraced by a nanny, the detective, and is very excited to see a butler, but doesn't seem to have any immediate interaction with his mother or his father, who in fact is very excited to see... Prince Charles' sister, Princess Anne, they have a hug and run off into the gardens together. So we're given the impression that young Prince Charles is almost estranged from his family emotionally at this point. 
Yeah, I do think they're overdoing the miserable childhood here. I mean, the idea that Prince Charles comes home from his first term at this um, heathen boarding school and his mother is not even there to say hello. There is a nanny. I presume that to be a depiction of Mabel Anderson, the adored nanny who even today King Charles still um, looks after in her grace and favour flat in Windsor. And so we come to the end of an episode which has painted, I think, the Duke very unfavourably. I think the whole royal family come out of this looking utterly dysfunctional. There's no sign of any warmth from Charles's parents to this troubled little boy. And it's clearly setting up uh, the psychodrama that is to follow. Yeah. And it's possible that they over-egg Prince Charles's feelings towards Gordonston. It was definitely tough. There's some quotes at the end about the basic facts. And that is correct, that Prince Charles remained at the school for a further five years. He did describe it as a prison sentence and absolute hell. But in 1974, he did also tell the Observer that he was glad he went to the school. Uh, and he feels like it, it did instill an emphasis on self-reliance. So Maybe that was just him being polite, but they really do kind of hammer that home. As you say, this two-dimensional narrative that his father was a brute, the school was awful, and this was kind of the worst time of his life. Yeah, I think we should at least point out that Gordonston was not as barbaric as it's made to be in this. Otherwise, why was it that the Queen sent her other two sons there, Prince Andrew and then Prince Edward, or why indeed the Princess Royal chose to send both her children there? The fact is that most of the House of Windsor enjoyed Gordonston, still have connections with the school. We see there this this sort of uh, grim cross-country challenge, which has utterly defeated Prince Charles. They did actually have a very early form of the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme. It was called the Murray Badge. Prince Philip won it when he was there. It's what inspired him to go on and create the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme. It was much more about helping other people, about challenging yourself, about instilling confidence. It was a much more constructive process than just sort of stomping through mud faster than the next poor soul. And that doesn't come through. So, yes, I I imagine the uh, public relations department at Gordonston sat watching this episode with their head in their hands. Yeah, there was another amusing detail. They've also corrected that, yes, there are cold showers at the school, but they're swiftly followed by a hot shower, and this is proven to be good for your health. So that's another example of, yes, there are cold showers, but that's not just it. It's not just for the sake of being grim. There are health benefits. (laughs) They're cold, and then they're hot. Well, I'm pleased to hear that the plumbing has improved somewhat since then. You know, over the years, many people have spoken about Prince Charles's school days there. They did improve. By the end of his time there, he'd become a very accomplished Shakespearean actor. It was Gordonston that instilled in him his love of Shakespeare through the English master and head of drama, Eric Anderson, who actually went on to be a lifelong friend of Prince Charles, a very influential educationalist. He later taught Tony Blair and Boris Johnson and David Cameron and latterly when he was uh, rector of uh, Lincoln College Oxford also uh, was in charge of Rishi Sunak so there were some very eminent teachers at Gordonston they clearly gave Prince Charles a pretty solid education because he passed the exams for Cambridge University on his own merit none of that comes through here I don't think we've actually seen anybody sitting in a classroom at all just manual labour it's just manual it's bricklaying what you (laughs) learn at Gordonston you learn bricklaying and how to fall off a wall 
and had a squelch in mud. Yeah. That's it. In white so, clothes. Always in white clothes, yes. Um, so I think you know, if anyone's got reason to be upset, quite apart from the royal family, it's the governors and staff of Gordonston. But hey, it's only a drama, as I've said at least five times during this podcast, and we'll continue to say so. But uh, Crown Fact or Fiction, mm, okay, we've had a few facts here, but I think most of this episode is fiction and we should treat it as such. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Crown Fact or Fiction. We hope you enjoyed this dive back into Series 2 of The Crown. We'll be recording more episodes of the podcast very soon, so do get in touch if you'd like to choose an episode to receive the fact or fiction treatment. Take a look at the show notes for our email and our WhatsApp number. We've had some lovely reviews, including one from a listener in America who goes by the username of whatnow23. They gave us a five-star review and said, I've really enjoyed the podcast, especially the juxtaposition of the hosts between Robert and Natasha. Thank you very much. Thank you. They've said they enjoy the deep dive into even the most minute of fact-checking, which that is what we try to achieve. So thank you very much for that. Yes, thank you to everyone who's left a review or a comment. There's another one here from uh, Video Diary Chick, from also from the USA. Very interesting podcast, giving insight into the real stories behind the show. Found myself binging all episodes after finishing The Crown's final season. Well, um, I kind of know the, know the feeling. If you are someone who's just been inspired to rewind The Crown all over again, do get in touch with us. Let us know which episodes are your favourite. I know I've been a bit harsh on this one. There are some very fine moments of course throughout all the seasons of it and um, i think we should try to talk it up a bit in the meantime thanks very much for listening to the crown fact or fiction goodbye goodbye why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. Oh, gosh, you find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is everything I know about me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again. Because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. Unashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant. And he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. 
I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah, I remember that being really stressful. Everything I know about me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.